Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. We count it an absolute honor and privilege to have your company with us as we continue our exploration of this series we titled The Holiness Movement. And holiness, it doesn't mean just good behaviors or being you know, a good boy or a good girl. Uh, it's, it's more about manifesting the image that God created us to bear in practical day-to-day activities. It's about living like Christ in the world. You know, throughout all of history, God invited His followers to be holy just as He is holy. And we addressed over the past few uh, seg- uh, uh, sessions some of the reasons why we fail to pursue a life of holiness. And today I want to look at the fourth part, which is all about our worldliness, our way of living like the world. I believe that that's one of the biblical warnings for how we fail to live out our full potential in God and live the brand that Jesus died and rose again to introduce the planet Earth. We live worldly life styles. And uh, you probably are aware of situations you observed Christians. Maybe you mingled with some who profess to be uh, born again Christians, but they lead a type of lifestyle that makes you wonder what's going on. Like, why are we living just like the rest of the world, pursuing similar interests, Uh, investing in similar projects and abiding by similar moral standards. In fact, I was reading uh, 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 for one of the writers uh, uh, a book uh, called Disciple Shift and uh, um, uh, the authors of this book uh, quote different uh, studies uh, such as the scandal of the evangelical conscience, a future cast, the American church in crisis, and some banner research, which is a research company in the United States. And this is their, um, you know, final conclusion uh, as a result of uh, quoting and referencing some of these studies. They said that when it comes to to morality and lifestyle issues, there is little difference between the behavior of Christians and non-Christians. Divorce is just about the same right. Pornography, men viewing pornography is just about the same right. Domestic violence, drugs and alcohol abuse and cohabitation. Uh, in fact, I was reading just the other day in a, in a recent publication of Christianity Today, uh, maybe about a month or so ago, uh, that they explored uh, a study that explored born-again Christians' attitude to living together 
prior to marriage and the great majority of young people are saying that it's absolutely nothing wrong. And they interviewed many pastors in, in various evangelical churches who saying it's a real struggle. What does the church do? How do they interact with, with people who are living together and want to come to the church and get married? And, and, and this is becoming a great area whilst in the scripture it wouldn't be called gray area. What has happened is there is a sense of divorce between what we believe and how we live according to the standards of God's word. It's no longer Christians are ruled by God's ideals. We are more inclined to uh, promote the, the and tolerate the standards of culture that we are encultured in. However, the reality is we have a spiritual battle in our lives that are seeking to make us reflect our culture instead of our Christ-like character. And namely, there is, the New Testament reveals three primary enemies for uh, uh, the believers, for Christ's followers. First one is our sinful nature, the me apart from God. That is uh, raging on the inside of us, uh, trying to make us inclined to do the things that are not necessarily in accordance to God's heart, but they fulfill our passionate lusts and desires and selfish ambition. Then there is the world system. It's a value system and ideologies that are opposing to God's ideals and values. And also there is the evil one, the enemy of God and God's family who wants to bring us down so we don't live out our full potential in Christ. And the book of James recounts and expresses the, his concern about the implications of us failing to adhere and be alert to those three destructive enemies. The book of James is written by the brother of Jesus. His name literally is Jacob. And he was a prominent figure in the church of Jerusalem. And, uh, uh, you know, his writing resembles the, the, the wisdom literature uh, of the Old Testament. And he brings wisdom to every Christian group, not to a specific group of Christians. And the purpose of his book, the book of James, the letter uh, of James, is to help us grow up into maturity, to live fully devoted to Jesus' teaching. In fact, the structure of the book uh, is around 12 wise teaching. Uh, it's almost uh, extracting from the Sermon on the Mount and, and based on the style of the book of Proverbs, he gives sentences that helps us capture a memorable um, a teaching uh, that is uh, significant for our maturity and our walk, authentic walk with Christ. And his uh, um, uh, emphasis, James' emphasis on genuine faith, that we would listen and that we would do, as he wrote in James 1, that the Word of God is like a mirror that demands that we respond to what we see. 
And uh, roughly he focuses on repeated themes such as wisdom, wealth, and our words, our tongues. And in every aspect, he wants the followers of Jesus to grow towards maturity. The word perfect is used seven times in the letter and it means wholeness or maturity or character. It's all about integrating values and action, living what we believe, living the values of the kingdom, living the way that we're being transformed by the Spirit from the inside out. And here in chapter Four, uh, James articulates the danger of the spiritual enemies that want us to live not a mature life, not an integrated life, but live a life that is somehow captures the ideals of Christianity in the mind, but our lifestyles are completely alienated from our Ideal. So here we go. James is about to express to us that we're not in a playground. We are in a battleground. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You cover but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The first thing that James articulates for us is that we have sinful desires on the inside and those desires battle within us and we want to get some things and if people are in the way, we want to step on them, we want to manipulate them, we want to get their way nevertheless and therefore we fight and quarrel. And it says you covet, but you cannot get what you want and you do not ask God. Um, and when you do ask God for what you want, you don't get it because you're self-centered person seeking your own pleasures and fulfilling your own desires. The first thing that battles within the believer is the sinful nature that desires our selfish ambition, our pleasures, our lust. We are inclined to live for our own sinful inclinations. And the scripture in Galatians chapter 5 makes it utterly clear that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. That our sinful nature has got nothing to do with the spirit's nature, the spirit that deposited the character of and, and appetite of Christ within us. There is a battle going on on the inside. They are contrary to one another. And then he goes on to express what the flesh um actually uh, the, the, the manifestations of the activity of the flesh and he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. You know, they are sexual Im immorality and he talks about idolatry and hatred like relational discord and jealousy and selfish ambition and dissension and faction and, and envy. And he says, I warn you as I did before. This is 
Paul talking to the Galatians that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying that these manifestations of the life of the flesh and the sinful desires within us, they not um, complementary to what the Spirit's uh, desires on the inside of us. They are totally contrary. And people that live according to the flesh, uh, they, they are not going to experience the rule of God. The second thing that James warns us of in chapter 4 verses 4 to 5, he says, You adulterous people, that is spiritual adultery, because we have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, captured by Jesus as his love bride. He's, he, he, he has captivated our hearts with his affection, with his selfless giving of, of his life on our behalf. And when we divorce ourselves from being united and devoted to him, we become spiritually adulterous people. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? You can't love the world and God at the same time. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world system becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously, jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? That God intends for his people to be fully consumed and devoted by him not live with friendship to the world. And John tells us in 1 John 2 what that world system means. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world is what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It all comes not from the Father, but the world. And the world and all its desires will pass away. That is not a way to live your life pursuing something that is temporary and will, la and will not last, but will vanish. And, and James is telling us you have a world system that is vying for your allegiance. He wants to make you an opponent of God by being a friend of the world. People say, you know, oh, big deal that I enjoy the stuff of the world and the values of the world. Let's be tolerant. Let's not be so different from the world so that we can reach the world. And, and James would stand in opposition and say, be careful what values you adopt because friendship with the world is enmity to God. And the final enemy that uh, James uh, speaks of in James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And similarly, uh, in the apostle Peter in his first letter, chapter 5, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And using the same uh, terminology as James, it says, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. He is alerting us to the fact that we actually do have an enemy in the spiritual realm. Uh, it, we do have a, a power that seeks to undermine 
our faith, we have someone that seeks to derail our purposes for living for God. He wants to swallow us alive if he could. But there is victory for God's people. And that's what James is saying in James 4, 6. He says, but he, God, gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God wants to uplift us. God wants to enable the humble, the people who are reliant on Him, the people who are not living for themselves, arrogantly pursuing their own agendas, people that come to God and say, how do I survive in this spiritual battleground? It says, hey, I've got you covered. I have favor to lift you into a different way of living, not to be defeated by the enemy, but to live victoriously, to manifest the character of Christ, not to be overwhelmed by the values of the culture. And here are uh, uh, maybe a summary of the ways we could simply live out that victorious life. He says, James teaches the church, submit yourselves then to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. It changed your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I see in this summary as three primary things that, that James would have us do in order to step into a life of victory. The first one is to submit. Submit ourselves to God. Say yes to God every moment of every day. It's, it's saying your way, it's not what I want, it's what you want. It's the desires of the Spirit, not the desires of my flesh. But then we need to resist, as he says, to say no to the enemy and his traps and his strips and, and little things that he wants to take footholds in our life. And finally, to repent, he says, mourn and, and, and don't take this easily, but refuse to live that type of life and refuse to live under the banner and the values of the world system and say hello to cleanliness. Let's address each one of those briefly. First one, submit. And basically saying no fulfilling of the desires of the flesh. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, Paul teaches us the same concepts as therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy based on all that God did for us to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God that is your true and proper worship and again he teaches Timothy flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, holiness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The testimony of the New Testament teaching is guiding God's people to say no to fulfilling our fleshly sinful desires. You can't be a genuine follower of Jesus and live under the burden and the banner of lustful desires. Both James and the writers of the New Testament are teaching us to say no to 
evil desires. To otherwise surrender our bodies, not to the evil desires of the flesh, but surrender our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Uh, the idea of offering your body as living sacrifice is about a concept of the Old Testament sacrificial system, where when uh, when an uh, animal is placed on the altar of sacrifice, there is death. They don't live anymore. And Paul is saying, offer yourself as a sacrifice. You do not live for yourself anymore. And you don't live for the selfish, sinful desires that you once had. The second thing that, that, that James teaches us is to resist the enemy, to not fear the enemy. And Paul teaches the same thing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Look at this strong and might language. Put on the full armor. Like consider yourself a soldier so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. You see, uh, often a time Christians can have two uh, responses or two attitudes to the idea of the enemy, the devil. Some really uh, are ignorant and oblivious to the impact of uh, spiritual forces. Say, you know what? That's a medieval concept. That's something that we just say to scare the little kids. Um, I don't believe that that's a, an adequate biblical view of the enemy that is like a roaring lion. But also on the other extreme, some Christians so freak out and give the enemy too much credit. The enemy is not a creator. He's not an e on equal footings as God Almighty. He is unable to exercise his authority in whichever way he wishes. We are in Christ protected, but he is trying to scare us to make a decision outside of the will of Christ. But the, the, the New Testament writers would tell us, stand firm, be strong, fight the battle, resist them and he will flee. Who often flees? The weaker or the stronger party in a fight? Often the weaker person would flee, not the strong one. So he's telling us by implication that because of Jesus and because of the Spirit of God on the inside of us, because of the protection of God Almighty and His armor, we are not scared of the enemy. We will stand our ground. We will crush serpent and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Jesus fought the devil and He broke His teeth. He might bite, but He can't harm. He can't hurt because his weapons have been demolished by the cross of Jesus. We resist. The enemy says, why don't you do this or that? Just like Jesus in the, in, in the, in the temptation narrative, he, he would say, no way, it is written. 
Don't accept the whispers of the enemy to do as you please. Stand your ground and taking on seriously the armor of God that belongs to God and, and given to you by grace. The last thing is that we are called to repent. We are called to not flirt with the world. You know, people that think, you know, I'm a Christian now. How close do I get to sin before it's destructive? That's not a great way of guarding ourselves from the attractive noise of the world around us. In Psalm 119, it says this, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil and they walk only in His path. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. The first thing we need to know about the attractions of the world values and, and the ways you know, it seems so subtle is that it starts with compromise. You see, nobody who, uh, who is walking with Jesus wakes up in the morning one day and says, you know, I want to pursue uh, this pride of life. I want to pursue this, uh, you know, uh, this uh, alternative lifestyle. I want to pursue my career and love my career and make a lot of money and build my own tower and, and climb my own corporate ladder. And I want to forsake uh, Jesus. Nobody wakes up one day and deserts God's people and God's calling over their life because they loved the present world like Demas. That is not true. We begin by little compromises. And that is why repentance is so crucial in the early stages when we miss the mark. You know, James was basically creating a funeral type of, of, of a, a setting for the Christians. He's saying, you have become friends with the world. I want to tell you, you should mourn that. You should cry. You should be horrified. You should so be gobsmacked by, by your tendency to, 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 to agree with, by your tendency to follow your opponents, the opponents of, of God, because the, the friendship with the world is hostility to God, is enmity to God. So don't compromise. Don't allow your eyes to watch something that is not helpful for your walk with Jesus. Don't allow your jokes and your communication as informal and as, 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 as relaxed as it may be to be contrary to God's holy standards. Don't succumb to little desires for riches because eventually if you love money and you love the possessions of the world, you're going to forget about the love of God. It's it's not money is not a problem. It's about loving money. It's about my own selfish ambitions behind that. It's my own value system and how I feel significant as a result of resources. We need to 
repent and be careful from the start with flirting with the world. If you follow naively the, the pathway behind your opponents, your adversaries, you are going to fall off a cliff. They are not guiding you into your best possible self. They're not guiding you to live out your God-given potential. They don't want you to declare and manifest the character of Christ. So break uh, your friendship with anything that is contrary to God and make your opponents your opponents. Don't compromise your allegiance to Jesus. I believe Christians fail to pursue godly living. They fail to live Christ-like lives. They fail to live a life of holiness because we are not alert to the reality of our spiritual battle within and around us, but you and me are invited to submit to God, to live as living sacrifices under God's banner, to say no to our own selfish agenda, to resist the devil, and to repent of adopting any worldly values, regardless of how subtle and naive and, and not sinful they look. We are granted victory by God's grace and as a result of that, we live the life of Jesus on earth, just like he was victorious over the enemy and exemplified the image of God for us to see embodied in him and lived out by the power of our, his spirit in our lives on earth. It is our heart prayer and absolute passion that we would be alert to the attack of the adversaries of the believers and that we would fight like soldiers sold out to God's purposes. And if you do rely on the Spirit of God, you will experience victory in the matchless name of Jesus. Thank you so much for watching. We look forward to having your company again at our next episode. God bless.